This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. On this episode of Vocal Perspective, we are so thrilled to be sitting down with Holly Kitching, who is an ICCA producer and also one of the founding members of Vixen and just such an awesome all around great, great lady. And we want to just say welcome to Holly. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Sure. Everyone likes to know, like, where did you get your start? How did you catch the acapella bug? So I went to James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, They have a pretty big acapella community there. But when I was in high school, it wasn't as popular as it is now. So I didn't even know that acapella groups were really a thing. And then when I decided I was going to go to JMU, one of my friends from high school was like, oh, are you going to join an acapella group there? And so then I just kind of like looked into it. Next thing I knew, I was auditioning for all the groups. And I was a member of the Bluestones, which is an SSAA group there at JMU. And so then I was with them, you know, my whole time there in school. And then when I graduated, I moved to New York City and I was a part of a group called Empire there. And then a few years later, I moved to DC and was in a group called The District. And now I'm in Philadelphia and I'm a member of Vixen, as you guys said. And yeah, that's it. Done a lot of musical direction in my life and and uh, done a lot of arranging. So that's kind of been the acapella track that I've been on. Very cool. You've been in all treble voiced all female groups so far. What has drawn you to that over being in a mixed group? Well, it's funny because our so at, at JMU, there's so many acapella groups there. The way that they do their audition system, it's kind of like a rush almost mm. where you audition for everything that you want to at the same time in the same like few days. And then they have you fill out a preference sheet and you just like list whatever groups you want in order of preference. And coming from high school where it's like, oh, you know, the mixed co-ed groups are the more elite groups. You kind of go into college, not necessarily knowing one way or the other. And you think like, oh, well, this is a co-ed group. So they have, you know, the most ability, like they can sing more stuff and, you know, all that stuff. So anyway, I ended up in a all treble group. It wasn't necessarily my preference at the time, but it was like such a huge opening door for me. And it was so fun. It, you know, became a sisterhood and it became really what I knew in terms of acapella music and arranging and I really learned those voices well and that was just kind of what I stuck with and then over the years it became more of like an empowerment thing where I was seeing all these other co-ed groups and even all male groups before co-ed groups were so popular now they would you know kind of be the most popular groups on campus the all male groups would be and they would get more tickets that sold at their shows and they'd have huge audiences and you know when I was in school I was like, well, we can do that. So it just kind of stuck with me. I almost wanted to prove that we could do it. And it's just, I don't know, there's something so fun about being in a group of treble voices and really kind of exploring what you can do. And so many women don't necessarily know the full capacities of their voice. So it's fun to be able to explore that. So I kind of just ended up in the treble route by accident, um, but then I stayed with it on purpose. As an arranger, you've done now large treble groups, and now you're in as small as as five with Vixen. What do you see as the pros and cons of arranging for that style of group? For a larger group, I mean, there's so much you can do. You're not limited in size. Mm. And you really have a full range of texture. Yeah, you can, you know, create all of these different layers in the background. And you know, some arrangers might argue, you know, less is more. And you know, you could go back and forth on all of those 
you know, different points, but there's just so much you can do in terms of layering. And, you know, you, you can do those huge songs, those huge rock songs with like big gospel choirs in the background. Like you can do that and accomplish it and, you know, make it sound like the original. With a five person group, you have to be super creative about translating the same amount of energy and translating the same emotion using only five voices. You just have to get really creative and it really kind of puts your musical skills to the test. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a, both of both, you know, have their pros and cons, I would say. It's a totally different style of arranging. You know, as I'm sure you know, um, <laughs> arranging for less than 10 voices, even it's a whole different ball game, really. Yeah. And I know right now you have some pretty low bases to work with. But how in the past have you gotten around not having that super low range that all male or co-ed groups tend to have? So Jessie, who's in Vixen with me, she and I, we used to teach an SSAA treble arranging class back in the day, kind of at Sojam and Boss and that whole CASA event circuit. That would be like one of our biggest questions that we would get is how groups that don't have those super low bases, how they can, you know, still feel full. And we would always say, just arrange for what you have, figure out, you know, you probably have one person in the group that can sing pretty low, definitely use them to your advantage, but don't push them. That is something that I always see is either groups, you know, pushing their bases too low so that it falls flat, falls out of tune, or, you know, just kind of even being scared and not really even knowing what voices they have. It's kind of a combination of both of those. There are ways that you can really kind of fill out arrangements in the middle for treble voices. And, you know, that's kind of where the energy is, I feel like. And a lot of groups will sometimes arrange too high, and then they like get kind of squealy up in the rafters. And that's what you don't want. <laughs> right. That is my least favorite thing that happens in all female arrangements. I see it so much in barbershop. And I'm like, stop it. No <laughs> one needs to sing above the treble <laughs> all the time. Yeah, it's really crazy. And I think that just comes from people, you know, not necessarily knowing what what voices they have in the group. And sometimes people don't even know their own voices themselves. So I think, you know, really getting, really taking the time to get to know the range of the group and to do the warm ups and do the exercises to make sure everyone's singing in healthy ranges. And then just kind of arranging out from the bottom like you would any other group. I think groups are afraid to change keys too. I've seen so many trouble groups that are arranging in the wrong keys and it's either too low or way too high. Mm. And I, I think it takes a lot of focus and really kind of doing the work to, you know, make sure that you know your group and you know what sounds best for them. Yeah. Because if you don't really sit down and take that time, then you're, you know, going to be arranging in the wrong space. Can you talk maybe about a recent favorite arrangement that you've done where you feel like you've maybe fairly deftly handled some of these challenges? Well, I will say some of our like best arrangements in Vixen that we've done, we've arranged collaboratively. Hmm. And I think that has really helped us find our sweet spot in arrangements. Jessie's really great at writing bass lines. So she often knows, she also knows Marone's voice really well because they've been singing together for years. So a lot of times one of us, either me or Anna, another girl in the group, will lay out kind of like a skeletal version of the arrangement and kind of pick like where we would want moments. And then Jessie will go in and clean up the bass line. And, you know, then we'll go back and kind of fill in the chords. That's usually 
usually what I would do for most of my arrangements. I still do some arrangements for the current Bluestones at JMU now. Um, and their sound is slightly different from uh, or when I was in the group, but they still want that full fleshed out sound. Yeah. They do a lot of arrangements that have, you know, harmonies already built in. So they'll do some third story covers or Dixie Chicks, mm. you know, things like that, where they have those harmonies they can kind of build off yeah. already. And just kind of, you know, starting at the starting with the bottom and then starting with the baseline and the melody and then kind of filling in in between and then adding the sparkle on top is usually my method of creating a nice fleshed out arrangement. Very cool. I wanted to actually shift gears a little and ask about how you became involved with varsity vocals. Sure. Right after I graduated, or I guess before that, when I was still in school, I competed in ICCA with the Bluestones and the competition was super small. Back then it was, you know, we had like five or six groups at our quarterfinals and I think there were seven or eight groups at the semifinals. So it was pretty small, but so I, that's how I knew that it existed. Right. And then when I graduated from college, I moved to New York and I was just like looking for any and every job I could have. Because <laughs> I, I moved there with my major was theater and, you know, I wanted to stick with theater education, directing something in that realm. But, you know, I had an, inter- an unpaid internship. So I was trying to get any paid job I could find. So Varsity Vocals just happened to have an opening for Northeast Producer. And I had done a lot of event planning and such, you know, at my school with Bluestones. So yeah, I just applied for the job and they interviewed me and that was it. Again, the organization was pretty small at that time. So, you know, it was rare at that moment that they had an opening. So I just, there weren't as many regions as there are now. Um, it was before, you know, Pitch Perfect and all that stuff. So it just wasn't as large. So it, it was kind of an unusual thing that there was an opening. And yeah, I just applied and they I did a phone interview and that was it. Then I just kind of jumped in as a producer that season. And it's kind of a, an odd thing the way the organization was at the time because Amanda Newman, she was pregnant with her daughter. And so I didn't even meet her until like two years later. <laughs> <laughs> and you like work with all these people over the phone and over email for a whole year almost. And and then you don't even meet them until day you know, months later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's amazing how the acapella community will work like that because I know the Casa events team will pull together these incredible events, and half of them haven't even met each other until they get to the event. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we you know are on emails all the time. Our the whole varsity vocals team is, and when new people come in, it's just kind of like. They jump into the madness and then, you know, they finally put names to faces in April after the whole thing is done. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was Northeast producer for two years. And then when I moved to D.C., they needed a mid-Atlantic producer at the time. So I just switched regions and then Emily Flanders took over for the Northeast. Nice. What differences did you see between the regions? I think each region is starting to have their own kind of personality. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of differences did you see when you moved from the Northeast down to the mid-Atlantic? Oh, my gosh. Well, so my first year I was there it was the first year that Pitch Left won the finals and they were in my region in the Northeast. So I had Pitch Left, I had the Nor'easters, I had all of these amazing groups in Boston. Yeah, just like all of these crazy good groups. And most of them were crazy good co-ed groups, which again, I am from the South. So it's like, 
there weren't a ton of great co-ed groups. There were a few, but it was like all these great travel groups, all these great male groups. And it was like not a bunch of co-ed groups. So when I get to the Northeast and I see all these amazing groups of these incredible singers, I'm just like, whoa, what's happening up here? Um, So then when I'm the Mid-Atlantic was much smaller when I first started. And again, it was like, just kind of on the cusp of groups like really becoming viral almost Mm, online yeah you know all like the reality shows hadn't really started yet i i think um the sing-off had like just started Mm -hmm. and yeah like like that was really kind of like the start of it and then once that got going the mid-atlantic groups really stepped up and there were a ton more that started to form and it just kind of has snowballed over the years. It's been really awesome to watch the groups, you know, really grow up and just work so hard and just be so dedicated to their craft. I mean, the Mid-Atlantic for a while was just kind of like one of the regions that never really got recognized because it was always like, oh, Northeast or the West. And that's it. It's kind of like been that battle for forever. And then, you know, a South group would sneak in and, you know, and get one of the top places. But the Mid-Atlantic groups have really done amazing work over the years. And it's been evident, you know, year after year at finals. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was the biggest difference was just the Northeast was already established yeah when i was there and the mid-atlantic wasn't and then now that i've been in the mid-atlantic region for so many years it's really been cool to kind of see all of these new groups form and some of the older groups you know really find their space to shine which has been nice awesome but yeah i mean stylistically i wouldn't say there's any differences you know that kind of just changes with whatever is popular at the moment totally it is always interesting to see what songs are popular throughout each region (laughs) (laughs) so what do you think will be this season's most done song (laughs) i don't know actually i was just i was just talking to someone the other day like usually there's always one song that i hear on the radio where i'm like oh 20 groups are gonna sing this but i don't yeah i don't know what it is it'll be a nice variety yeah yeah (laughs) yeah what do you think is the most difficult part about producing for iccas Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot of logistical moving around. Anyone that has ever produced any type of event, you know, would be able to empathize with producers. But it is, I don't know, it's an interesting position when you're trying to cater to so many different people. Yeah. And I think ultimately our goal is to put on the best competition experience for all of the groups that are competing. And that's for the college level and the high school level. Mm-hmm. We want to give them the best experience, but there's so many other factors that go into it that I think everyone involved forgets how small of an organization we are. Um, right. And, you know, they, they view varsity vocals as like this big conglomerate, you know, but it's really <laughs> just like, you know, we're all each our own little people kind of running our own regions out of our homes and yeah. you know running to staples and making copies of judge sheet wait you guys don't have like a huge office in a skyscraper somewhere <laughs> yeah it, yeah it's like the, the emerald city of rc vocals is like <laughs> somewhere well i can say that we at Acaville can't relate in the slightest to any of that we, <laughs> we definitely don't record everything plated, in our houses <laughs> that's right steel plated buildings with <laughs> bodyguards and security 
Yes. <laughs> I feel like everyone, a, a lot of people in the community know, you know, what we do and they've seen the organization grow and they understand, but you know, you want every season, you always get a round of complaints or, you know, small trivial things. And, you know, you just kind of have to fix what you can and remember that we're able to give a great competition experience for so many groups. And ultimately we just want to celebrate student acapella and, you know, that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So for groups that aren't as familiar with ICCA or, you know, not as ingrained like somebody like SoCal Vocals or Nor'easters, what do you wish they knew before mm-hmm. coming into one of your competitions? I would say that for groups who are brand new coming in, I wish that they remembered <laughs> how many years we have been doing this and how much, the, or I wish that they knew how much the organization and the competition has evolved over the years. Yeah. You know, we, again, are always striving to offer the best program that we can. And like I said, a lot of times there are other factors that might prevent us from doing X, Y, or Z. Totally. So, you know, I think new groups come coming in, it's great for us if they come in with a kind of an open mind and just a positive attitude about it. I mean, that sounds so cliche, but it's like if a brand new group is coming in and their ultimate goal is just to win, then they're not going to have the best experience. They're not going to get the most out of their journey with us. Yeah. Right? It, ultimately, it's a way for them to get feedback and a way for them to, you know, connect with other groups and get to, you know, show other people that maybe have never seen them before what their group is about. And just, you know, they then have a stage to kind of spread whatever their message is. Yeah. So if they, you know, focus on kind of the whole picture and less about like, oh, first place, then, you know, they'll get a more comprehensive experience when they participate. And I think the groups that have been doing it year after year, they have learned how to kind of absorb everything as they go through it. I've definitely found like what you're saying to be true. I often ask the groups, so we reach out to the groups that compete in both ICC and ICHSA. And one of the questions that we often ask is like, I mean, obviously outside of winning the whole shebang, right? Like, like, what are you hoping to get out of this experience? And so many of them talk about the camaraderie and the ability to perform on this gigantic stage and front of people that they've never had a chance to perform in front of and to sort of get their name out there a little bit more and just to do this thing together with these people who are their friends and family, like, you know, in their hearts that are their family. And they really speak to that often. Yeah, you can tell which groups do that, which groups as a judge and people like being backstage with these groups, you can tell which groups come in with that kind of attitude and which groups sometimes don't. Yeah, that is one thing I will say about the Mid-Atlantic region. They are so, all of the groups are so supportive of each other. It's incredible. I mean, groups are like traveling to different states to go watch other groups shows like and not like during competition season, but like just to go hang out with their friends and other groups and support them and, you know, make signs and like wave and cheer for them and the audience. It's like, I don't know. It's really, really amazing. And so many groups have come out of the Mid-Atlantic or the ACA Open too. like so many Mm -hmm. um, groups from different colleges, even 
you know, so especially this past year, I saw so many groups of either like recent alumni or even current students that were in different groups at different schools that kind of just yeah. like banded together and we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. Yeah. And we're even seeing groups like just regular adult groups that are getting started from various different universities that they met doing ICCA. So that's pretty cool. It's like they get to pluck their favorite people from all the other schools. Yeah, it's really <laughs> cool. And the groups are all so supportive of each other. It's just so nice to not be so focused on the competition element. And, yeah. the, you know, they a lot of them are truly genuinely interested in you know meeting each other and getting to connect with these other groups which is awesome totally i guess i have one because uh, we're sort of coming up to our the end of our time together but i had one other question that i wanted to ask you which is what do you see as the sort of biggest the biggest benefit uh, in our community right now and what do you think our biggest challenge in the aka community the acapella community is biggest benefit is that I think we are still a small community in the giant world that we live in. Yeah. I think that acapella is still kind of on the rise, whether or not the general public views it as something silly or as, you know, something kitschy, who knows. But I think that it's still on the rise. And I think that groups now have so many aspects of technology at their disposal that it's like they can do so much. Yeah, And there's just so much potential out there for groups to get their name out there and get their songs and their videos on the internet and just start sharing their music, which is great. Yeah. So I think that's a huge benefit of our community is just having so much room still to grow. Yeah. Biggest challenge is I think with any community, this exists, but I think our community still faces challenges making space for everyone mm. and not necessarily, you know, female voices specific or people of color specifically, but I often will go to ICCA shows or go to events or whatever. And I see groups either that are primarily female identifying, or maybe they pride themselves on being open to all genders, or, you know, maybe they are mostly people of color. They're groups that are centered around some type of factor that generally is a minority factor. And they are trying to create a group celebrating themselves, and they might not necessarily necessarily be on par musically with whatever the best group is at the time. Right. And the what I see is people just kind of writing those groups off hmm. and not necessarily reaching out to them and finding a place to lift them up. Hmm. And I think that is just because our community is based on music. Like ultimately, that is what right. our, our focus is. Right. Um, yeah. And I think so many wonderful groups have raised the bar so high. Yeah. <laughs> Almost unattainably high from some yeah. groups. So many groups have set an incredibly high standard. And there are still people in the community that I think if the standard is not met, then they don't want to bother with it. Yeah. Um, which is fine. If that's your choice, then that's your choice. But in my mind, we want to be celebrating groups that are mostly people of color. We want to be celebrating groups that are celebrating different genders or gender nonconforming or just mm. throwing out gender identity altogether. We right. want to be finding those groups and like and giving them a platform. Right. And if that means that we need to be reaching out to them and saying, hey, I really like your sound. Let me arrange something for you. Or, hey, I'd love to work with you and get you ready for competition season because... 
I love what you're about. I love what you're doing. Yeah. I feel like we could be doing more of that. Yeah. I'd also like to see us doing more for groups that lack resources because a a lot of these groups that win come from schools that can afford sound systems and coaches and custom arrangements and things like that. And like, I'd like to celebrate those groups that are doing it on their own because they have to be scrappy because there's no other, there's no other way. The choice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just being a producer, every quarterfinal, there's usually, you know, one or two standout groups, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, once you get to the semifinal level, then it becomes more of even playing field, I would say. There's always going to be newer groups that are coming in and maybe it's their first year, maybe it's their second year, maybe their student run, you know, maybe there's only nine of them, who knows? Right. And I feel like if it's something new and it doesn't immediately blow us away, then we're like, oh, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I wish we'd get past that. (laughs) Yeah. There's, There's usually something good that comes out of every group and I wish we would maybe focus a little bit more on those things rather than start to immediately pick apart the things that aren't as strong. Yeah. And I feel like that's a problem with any group that is trouble or all female identifying. That's kind of the issue that a lot of people still have in their brains is like, oh, well, you know, it's not going to sound good. I'm not going to like it. So whatever. <laughs> right. Wait, well. did they not see the movie based on this competition? The girls end up winning. <laughs> <laughs> then they're like, whatever, that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is definitely real. And we have so enjoyed this real talk with you, Holly. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Good luck with the competition season. And I'm sure we will see you at some of the Mid-Atlantic contests. Yeah, I'm sure you will. (laughs) I'll be (laughs) at all of them. (laughs) Well, that was Holly Kitching, ICCA producer and founding member of Vixen. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, like a trend or, or, or the beginnings of a trend that I feel like I'm seeing, which is the sort of dropping of gender as the important definer of a group and bringing on a mixed gender or maybe no gender sort of approach to groups, uh, as we've seen like most recently with Six Appeal, but even with the Whiff and Poofs and with other groups, there's a group called the Crescendos coming out of Chelmsford High School that are also grappling with this. And so I want to like sort of pick your brain about what you think about that. Right. I think we're definitely seeing a new movement towards, I don't think it's eliminating gender entirely from Occupy. I mean, there are, even though we we are seeing more gender fluidity, there are still people that identify as male and female. But, and I think we will still see all male identified groups and all female identified groups. I don't know if we're really getting to the point where it's just going to be all genders working together in one group. But I do see it as becoming less of an important thing as part of their identity. I know most groups, you know, and I even say it on the raps that we do here at the station. I'm like, this was the first all female group at such and such college. And I think, it's been such an important part of acapella's identity that I think we're seeing that go away and not necessarily the loss of single gender groups, maybe a transition from hard and fast cisgender groups, but Mm -hmm. female identified or male identified, I think those will continue to exist at least for a little while. Who knows how we'll evolve as the years go on. But I do, yeah, I think we're seeing groups just don't want to identify as any of that anymore. They want to be identified as their talents, as their style of music, as their dress, as something else besides their gender. Yeah. One thing I've seen groups identify in, and not in a gendered way, but in more of a, we are looking for people who can hit these ranges. Yes. And it doesn't matter what gender that represent or what gender can do that as long as you can hit those ranges and then you're good to go. So I I think that's an interesting 
way to approach it. I wonder how that impacts people who are looking for the sort of, I don't know, it sounds hokey, but sort of the traditional sisterhood or brotherhood that comes along with being in a group that first off is gendered and then identifies as being all that gender. Yeah. I mean, coming out of, I was in an all-female group in college and this was over 20 years ago now, but I did appreciate that I had that space. So I think a lot more things will need to happen before especially women are willing to give up that little sisterhood bond. Because, you know, to be honest, right now, we're not seeing it. So I mean, I'm sure that it's happening where people that identify as female or non-binary are joining traditionally female groups, but we're mostly seeing it as non-binary or female identified people trying to get into what have traditionally been all male identified groups. Right. Or maybe that and those original members reaching out and looking to onboard people of Mm -hmm. the, I guess, if they're traditionally male, then sort of your traditionally female, bringing on female identifying uh, folks. Yes. And, you know, Six Appeal was very specific about that in their announcement. You know, hey, for 13 years, we've been all guys, six guys in this group, and our auditions are open to all genders, which was encouraging to see. And I'm glad that they ended up with the two women that they did. We have we had Mel yeah. Danicky on the show several episodes back, and I'm sure that we will have Virginia Cavalieri at some point on the yeah. show eventually. But you know that's exciting. But I also just. I also don't want us to get into this token. There's a risk here that it's just becoming the token female or token non-male identified person in these groups. And I'm six appeal. Don't worry, I'm not <laughs> calling you out on this. But, you know, also with the whip and poofs, they let in mm-hmm. a girl last year and they have a girl this year. But I don't want this to become another way to tokenize women or non-binary people just take in the best talent. And I think that in a way that I was kind of close enough to the Six Appeal audition process to know that they were looking for the best talent, hands down. And that's what it should be about. I don't want it to become about like, oh, well, we let in one non-binary person this year, so we're awesome. Yeah. But yes, it should be about finding the best fit, the best talent, and the best personality, the best actual human fit for your group. So I am excited about this move away from gender as an identifier. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll see single gender or gender identified groups disappearing anytime soon, but... No. I can understand the desire to connect with and share those elements of your internal identification with people and if we talk about it as female identified or male identified as opposed to male and female, I think that is, I think, I hope that people see that as progress in this arena. It is. It does still leave the door open to discrimination against people that Mm. don't identify as either. So that also is a big question mark is where do the people that identify as non-binary, where do they fit in in this equation? Yeah. So, I mean, this is all very challenging. And I think to see this being approached mostly at the collegiate level and even sometimes at the high school level, like that's a lot for them to take on to try to figure out how to hold on to something that they feel is part of their identity while not excluding other people who don't fit in exactly to that predefined type. Yeah. Yes. No, it's funny. I think I don't find it surprising at all that it is bubbling up from high school and college. Those are the the times in your life where you are most introspective and trying to define for yourself who you are and whatever words you want to use to 
define yourself. So it makes total and complete sense to me that it's happening in that arena and that avenue. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm hoping that we can bring in more guests that can talk about this that are seeing it happening in their own groups. I know that, you know, I sing in mixed gender groups, I sing in groups that are all female, and I see the benefits of both. Mm. Like I love being in my all female chorus, and we'd be open to anyone that identifies as female and it because it is a sisterhood. But I also love being in my mixed gender group where it doesn't matter. We've swapped, we've had three male voices and four female voices, we've had four male voices and three female voices. And for that group, it's been most important that the personality is the right fit and the talent is the right fit. So I see the value of both. And I'm hoping that we can bring in more guests as this podcast goes on. And we can continue to dissect this and find a way for progress where everyone feels some level of comfort with the way that things are going. Yeah, I totally agree. And if anyone's listening out there who would like to talk to us about this topic or would like to school us in ways we may have gotten it wrong, we encourage you to please reach out. You can contact us at Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L at Acaville.org or Amanda, A-M-A-N-D-A at Acaville.org. Yep, that's the way. (laughs) And that wraps up episode 27 of Vocal Perspective. We want to give another thank you to Holly Kitching of Vixen and Varsity Vocals for taking the time to speak with us today. We also do look forward to continuing our conversation on gender in acapella. Next week, we'll have the crescendos out of Chelmsford High School, and we'll see you next Tuesday.